0: Good evening, ladies. So uh, you're all ready for the holidays, right? (laughs) Okay, we need to make a pact that we're not going to start Christmas until Thanksgiving is over, right? We need to be thankful first. Amen. All right, this week we're going to look at hurtful comments. Now remember last week the building of the wall had begun. And each family had their portion. And likewise, each one of us in God's family, we have a purpose in God's family. And the the foot is not more important than, say, the eyes or the brain. I mean, every part is important in the body of Christ. Um, we also learned that we're not to fear the calling God has placed on our lives, uh, we're not to resist that calling and think that you know what's best because you know what God created you for a specific purpose. So since he created you, that would be like saying somebody who created a hammer, well, it doesn't want to be used as a hammer. They want to be a screwdriver. I mean, that's just kind of silly, right? So anyway, he created each one of us for a specific purpose. And if we don't know what our calling is, then... Just ask God and He will answer you. He wants you to know your, wants you to know the purpose that He has for you. And then we ended the study with that amazing verse found in Ecclesiastes four, nine through twelve, and it says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person fails, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep Each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And as we're going to find out this week, not everybody was happy with this newfound camaraderie in Nehemiah's time. And we found out that people can get pretty mean, so let 's open in prayer before we dig in. Our heavenly Father, we are so blessed to have uh, this amazing scripture i mean the the life of Nehemiah is something to to be looked at and and to learn the lessons that he has learned through following you, through keeping his focus on you and not all the troubles around him. I mean, he was human just like we are, Lord, and yet he did such extraordinary things. And so as we go through this chapter, would you open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts, Lord, to be softened to hear what your Holy Spirit has to say for us, to us today, tonight. And so we love you, Lord. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation, and it begins chapter 4, verse 1. And Sanballat, you remember him, right? Boo. And he was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? So it's important to note that when he was saying this in front of the Sumerian army, that that means he was trying to discredit the Jewish people in front of an army that he had control of. He was the governor, therefore he could tell the Sumerian army to attack the Jews. And so he's just trying to get his all, you know, his little army together so that he can uh, overthrow God's plan for for the Jews. And let's look at what they were saying to the Jews. They called them a bunch of poor and feeble or weak people. And, of course, the people didn't think that they could finish it in a day. That's just a ridiculous statement. So he's just kind of throwing out comments to to hurt. They had no purpose but to just discredit and make the Jewish people look a little foolish for trying to build the wall. And by mocking the fact that the people were offering sacrifices to God, they were mocking the faith of the Jewish people. And there it's never a good idea, especially to a already hurting people. Proverbs 17.5 tells us, those who mock the poor insult their maker, God. Those who rejoice at the misfortune of others will be punished. So these guys are going to get their comeuppance, aren't they? Now, especially, you know, if the people that they're trying to persecute are just seeking after doing God's will and nothing else. And then verse two continues on. Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Of course, they're still being sarcastic and trying to mock. And mocking always seems to go in this direction. You know, they over exaggerate the conditions, you know, they're just trying to influence people around them and spin it so that it sounds worse than it really is. So they were mixing a little bit of truth with a whole lot of lies. Now, the stones they were using were simply the stones that used to be the wall that had been torn down by an army. And so it's not going to be that difficult to just pick up the same stones and rebuild the wall. And then he says, and they're charred. Well, anybody who knows anything about rocks, have you ever made one of those uh, uh, fire rings out of rocks? You know, we do it when we're camping and backpacking and stuff. And yeah, they'll get... A little dirty, they might get some soot on them, but it doesn't hurt the rocks to get a little hot. So the fact that they're charged makes no difference at all. But remember, he's just trying to get the people upset, discourage them. And then, verse 3 Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, That stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. So, you know, bullies are an interesting lot, aren't they? Uh, They begin to make ridiculous statements, even to the point of lying and exaggerating, just so that they kind of get the crowd into the mocking. And they do this so that they can sway those people to kind of bring them over to their point of view. And their actions can come from a variety of emotions, uh, usually, the the bullies are insecure, and that's exactly what Sanballat and Tobiah was. They were bullies, and they were in need of more power. They wanted to keep that power, and of course, you know, I'm sure money was involved in that. Because if the people, the Jewish people, became prosperous, then he probably figured that maybe he'd start losing out there. So, what we learned before is that. They were bullying because they liked having the Jews in a less-than-ideal situation. They liked the fact that the Jews were unprotected and that they could take advantage of them. They liked the fact that the Jews were despondent. They were discouraged. Uh, They liked uh, to keep them in their difficult situation. And they figured the longer they were despondent and in this difficult situation, then they would lose hope and they wouldn't want to continue building the wall. That was their whole uh, uh, reason for doing this. So he wanted the people to stay in despair, and Sanballat and Tobiah wanted the morale of the Jewish people to to be brought down so that he could control them. And so verse 4 then says, Then I prayed, Hear us, our God, for we are being mocked, May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. So, again, what do we see Nehemiah doing? Praying. Every time he came across a difficult situation, he prayed. That is such a great lesson for us. Whenever we come across a difficult situation, our first response should be, go to the Lord. Because he will give you clarity, he will calm you down, he will give you peace in the situation. He didn't lash out and return insult for insult. Instead, he let God take care of those mockers. And, of course, Nehemiah had some ideas of what he would like God to do. Um, He wanted the scoffing to fall back on their own heads. He wanted them to become captives in a foreign land. He didn't want God to ignore their guilt nor blot out their sins. And he's going, okay, but you know what? I trust you, God. And I know that you are a just God and that you will give them what they have deserved. And so always remember that our God is just and he will deliver punishment as he sees fit because oftentimes we don't see the whole situation. And so he looks right into the heart of the matter, he sees our hearts. Some of you may be saying he does. Oh, I don't know if I want that. But you know what? He knows. He knows and he loves you. So verse 6 then continues. At last the wall was completed to half its height. So they're really working hard here around the entire city. For the people had worked with enthusiasm. You know what? God answered Nehemiah's prayer. And the people weren't discouraged. All the mocking, all the lies, all the harassment, it didn't work. Instead, they were enthusiastic. Hey, let's get this done. And they were now halfway done. And morale was up, and the people knew that God was on their side, and they were excited. But, verse 7 Those two guys again. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. It's like, oh man, all of our our mocking didn't work. All of our harassment didn't work. And they all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. So now they're kind of uh, upping the harassment, and they're now resorting to violence. Now, when bullies don't get their way, that's usually what happens, isn't it? First, they start to mock somebody. You know, we see this on the playground all the time. You know, kids will, you know, you'll always have this bully, and, and uh, he or she will be uh, harassing someone, and if it doesn't work, they get mad, and then they start swinging. They want to provoke And that's what they're doing here. And they they wanted the people to get uh, scared, and that way their harassment would work. But no matter, what did Nehemiah do with this development? Verse 9, but we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Now, an interesting thing to note, first they prayed, which is what they're supposed to do, and then... They went into action. They just didn't sit back and say, okay, God, protect us. What did they do? They actually set up guards. And so we need to remember that. You know, yes, we can pray, but God's going to lead you to do something. He's going to call you into action. And they set up guards day and night. Now, that would be exhausting, And the people were getting kind of tired of all this. You know, first they're working hard, they're being harassed, and now they have to guard day and night lest these guys come in that had threatened them physical harm. Poor Nehemiah, I really feel for him. Verse 10 then goes on to say, Then the people of Judah, we're talking about the Jews now, began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. So they were now getting discouraged. You know, you can just imagine what Sanballat and Tobias were saying. Yeah, yeah, our harassment is finally working. And morale had begun to falter. And the people were looking at this situation instead of all that the Lord had done to that point. And that is such a, that's such a—that's another great lesson for us. Sometimes we forget all of God's faithfulness of getting us through difficult situations, and now we're faced with a new situation, and it's like we completely forget what the Lord's done in the past. I know I've done that. And then the Lord will graciously remind me, that, you know what, I am always faithful, and even though you don't see it, I am working behind the scenes. I'm taking care of the situation. But sometimes it's not in the timeline that we like, huh? It's like, we're very impatient people, and it's like, but Lord, I want you to take care of the situation now. I don't like it, and I don't like thinking about it. I want you to take care of it. And he's just like, you know what, I've got this. It's in my timeline when all the pieces are, are together, then I will act. And we just need to learn that patience. And don't let the enemy come in and overwhelm you with situations so that you begin to falter and you begin to complain, just like the Jewish people did. And then verse 11 says, Meanwhile, our enemies were saying... Before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. So they are really upping the harassment, aren't they? First, it was just physical violence. They were probably beating up the people. And now they're saying, let's just kill them. You know, let's just end this nonsense and let's kill the people. And so uh, look at the how it ramped up. First, they were mocking, insulting, and lying. Then they, they were threatening physical harm to disrupt the work, and now they're threatening them with death. And so we will find out what happens next week. But today, let's look at some of the lessons that we learned from this passage. Uh, Years ago, I was involved in an organization, and uh, they didn't care who they hurt. Gossip was taken to like a whole new level backstabbing was a constant, and everyone was self-seeking, self-promoting. I mean, who would ever think that the PTA at my boys' school was going to be that harsh, right? (laughs) But it was. But, you know, but uh, uh, in, in all seriousness, though, in the world, we should expect people to be looking out for number one. It's just what humans do that are that don't have the Spirit of Christ in them. They don't know how else to act except whatever they can get. And so people in the world will act this way. However, in the Christian life, we are called to die to ourselves. In other words, not seek our own selves and how we can please ourselves, but we're to die to ourselves. We're to live peaceably with all, love unconditionally. And be patient throughout. So today we're going to look at how to handle those hurt feelings. I mean, this could be a six-week course. So I'm just going to give you just an overview here and hopefully enough where you can get through your difficulties of today. But we're going to look at what to do with non-Christians, also what to do with believers. Because sometimes we have difficulty with them. So first let's look at unbelievers. What did we see, Nehemiah, always, always, always do first? Pray. pray. Yes. You girls are listening. Yay. So sometimes we let our emotions get carried away first. And then when we have made a bigger mess of things, then we remember to pray. And we go, oh, Lord, I've really blown it this time. Can you fix it? And, Yoshi, you know, it's, I always feel like, you know, he's tapping me on the head. Yes, Connie, I'll fix it again, you know. So, you know, that is our our first response sometimes is to just dive in and, you know, get your pound of flesh because after all, they hurt me. So remember to pray. After you have prayed look to the word. It says a lot about this subject. There's a lot to see here. First, let's see what Jesus says. Matthew 544. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, we can find that really hard to do sometimes, can't we? It's hard enough to forgive someone, and now Jesus says, "Not only do we have to forgive them, we have to do good to them." I mean, we could see this play out, and uh, a lot of you ladies came from work, and you work jobs that are sometimes very uh, carnal because we live in a carnal world, and so you will see people, you know, trying to crawl over you to go up the the corporate ladder. And then God says, you know what? You're to forgive them, and you're going to wish good on them. You're going to wish God would bless them. And sometimes we go, yeah, but they're such jerks. Why would I want them to be blessed, right? That's our natural response. But we can never do any of this without the Holy Spirit. So always keep that in mind. But he's saying that we're supposed to do this no matter what they've done whether they've cursed you hate you spitefully use you persecute you that's why we have to pray first and get that filling of the holy spirit because then he will give us that supernatural love for those people who have come against you let's look at another scripture about this subject 1st Thessalonians 5:15 see that no one pays back evil for evil but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Now he doesn't say only nice people. He says all people. So and if that's not hard enough, look at what Philippians 2:14 says. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Now that's that's asking too much, right? That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. If we're acting just like they are, if we are responding the same way they have treated us, we're no longer the lights in this crooked world, are we? So we need to be those examples. We need to show them a better way to do things. And first, verse 15 gives us the reason why we must act this way, as Jesus commanded. So that the world sees us as different, as lights. So the practical imp- application of this in our world, when dealing with unbelievers, the first thing that we always need to remember to do is listen to the Holy Spirit. He will guide you, he will teach you, he will direct you. Now, I had... This happened just last week. Now, I drive down PCH on the way to church, and there's a McDonald's on the corner of PCH and uh, Western, thank you, and I love quarter pounder with cheese. That's my guilty pleasure. And every once in a while, I'll just—it's so easy. I just whip in there. I get—I get my quarter pounder with cheese, a small fry, and a large iced tea. In fact, after I got through telling the story this morning, I had to go get one because it sounded so good. <laughs> but anyway, so I—I I always go through the drive-through, you know, because I'm lazy. Um, so I. <laughs> Only kidding. I'm just in a hurry. But anyway, so I'm running a little bit late, right? And so I get in line and I see there's people in front of me. And so I'm sitting in the middle of the parking lot in a line, and then somebody comes in and they try to cut in and get in front of me. And I'm thinking, Oh no, you're not, you know, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm about ready to push them out of the way, you know. And then I you know then the Holy Spirit says, Really? You're gonna risk hitting them with your car over a hamburger and I just like okay, okay, Lord, I get it. I get it. Yes. I I was about to do that. But then thank you so much (laughs) thank you so much for for reminding me that a hamburger is not worth it. In fact, I don't know if you folks heard the story about um the chicken sandwich at Popeye's. And it wasn't, thankfully, it wasn't our new one on PCH. But they were fighting. No, this is really sad. They were fighting over a chicken sandwich. And one of them was killed. Yeah, and I'm going, oh my goodness, how can this be? I mean, what is with people's emotions that they would kill for a chicken sandwich? It sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? But you know what? People are getting so self-centered, so self-focused. This is the world that we live in. This is the world that we need to be lights in, you know? And so, boy, once I, I heard that story, I'm going, and, you know, was I any better You know, risking, you know, hitting somebody's car because she was going to cut in front of me. As it was, the line went really fast. I got to church on time and everything. But, you know, that's our tendency unless the Holy Spirit says, no, no, no. And so the, the moral to this story is, listen, when the Holy Spirit says it's not that big of a deal, it really isn't that big of a deal. And you need to listen to him and because we need to understand that people without Christ are on a whole different plane than we are. They have no hope. They have no direction other than seeking their own. Therefore, of course, they're going to be difficult. They're going to be selfish. They're going to be self-centered. I remember talking to a Christian gal years ago who was a nurse and she worked in the county jail system and she would treat the, the women prisoners. And she says, I don't know why people are just so mean. And I remember kind of looking at her going, well, you do realize you work in a prison, right? But she says, no. She says, you know, even the, the guards are mean. Everybody's mean there. And I go, well, it's because they don't know Jesus. That's why you're, have you considered that might be why you're you're there is to shine that light in that dark place. And so she goes, yeah, I think that might be it. You know, maybe I need to kind of change my attitude. And, you know, I just encouraged her to, you know, listen to what the the Holy Spirit would tell her on how to uh, react and minister to the people in that dark place. And also remember that people who don't have Jesus, they live for the here and now because they have no other hope. They don't have that eternal perspective that we have. That no matter how bad things get here, we have the hope of heaven. People don't in the world that don't have Jesus, they don't have that hope, do they? They don't have it. They figure that once they die, that's it. You know, they turn into dust. And then we also need to re, to see people the way. God sees people the way Jesus sees people. In Matthew nine thirty six through 38, he says, But when he saw the multitudes, speaking of Jesus, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, we are those laborers. We are the ones that God has called to reach this, this dark world. We can't do that if we look and act just like the world looks and acts. If we are confronted with a difficult person and we act in like kind, then our witness is blown Look how Jesus describes these people. They're weary. They're scattered like sheep without a shepherd. That's everyone, no matter how bad or good they are, that is their condition without Jesus. Again, how do we do this? How do we accomplish this task? It sounds very daunting, does it? Let the Holy Spirit do it. That's the promise. When we are a child of God, we have the Holy Spirit living within us who gives us the ability to do this. It's not something that we can do in our own flesh. Jesus does it through us. All right, next we're going to look at difficulties with believers. And I sometimes find it easier to show compassion on unbelievers because they don't know any better than believers uh, because they do know better. But you know what? The principles are the same. We're still supposed to be loving, patient, compassionate. If you were with us on Sunday, Pastor Jeff taught about restoring a brother or sisters. And I find it always fascinating when he teaches something and the ladies study, we didn't coordinate at all, but it always seems to happen. I think it's because of the Holy Spirit. But anyway, uh, he was in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken or a woman is overtaken at any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. In other words, we all blow it. We all need to be restored at some time because none of us are perfect. So if you see yourself properly, and that is that you're still a sinner in need of God's grace and mercy, you should show that to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? And just understand that we are all struggling. So unfortunately, the church is known for shooting their wounded. And so sometimes there's not a whole lot of grace in the church, but we need to uh, realize that. We've been shown so much grace. We can do nothing but show grace to our brothers and sisters. And the reason why is because if we don't, that person becomes so disheartened that they don't want to come to church. How many times do we see someone who has struggled and they stop coming to church because they think everybody knows? And oftentimes, they don't. Everybody does know, you know, because gossip's been spreading. And so we need to make sure that we're not uh, part of this and that what we're doing is encouraging that brother or sister who has fallen and lift them up and encourage them to come back and be in fellowship again. So what do we do if we are having difficulties with another believer? What is our first step? Pray, ask God to see the situation clearly. See, we don't always see everything that's going on. And God is always so faithful to give you insight. He can even give you love and compassion for that person. That's what he does. He gives us a little piece of him. So ask for patience. Ask for compassion. Then just like when dealing with unbelievers, we must die to ourselves. And what does that mean exactly? That means we lay aside our feelings and desires and minister to others, no matter what, no matter what they 've done Romans twelve eighteen and nineteen tells us if it is possible as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, beloved, do not avenge yourselves but rather give place to but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, I have heard people misquote this, and they say, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Now, that's not what it's being said here. Okay, He's saying it is for God to take care of. It isn't for us. We are not to divvy out the punishment. That is God's job. He will convict your hearts. And you know what? He does it so much better than us. I have tried to play Holy Spirit in my life, and it doesn't work out very well. So we are called to live in peace with all people, believers and unbelievers. Does that mean we compromise our principles? Of course not. Again, pray, and God will direct you in the way to navigate the situation. He will. He'll give you wisdom. And Hebrews 12, 14, and 15 tells us the reason why we must live peaceably with all people. He says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So that root of bitterness, when we hang on to a hurt and we're not willing to die to ourselves, that's that root of bitterness that, that begins to grow inside you. You know, I have uh, strawberry plants in my yard. And if you've ever planted strawberries and mint, so now I've got strawberries and mint. It's kind of an interesting combination. But they're both these, these plants that grow underneath. Their roots spread everywhere. And then they're popping up. And that's kind of what bitterness does. We don't really see it because it's all underground and then suddenly it begins to pop up in certain areas of our lives that's what that root of bitterness can do and the reason is if we do not live peaceably with others and then bitterness and unforgiveness does take root and you find yourself drifting farther and farther away from the lord and the will for your life it's very tragic Now, I know it's not easy to implement these things all the time, and like I said, we've only scratched the surface on this subject, but it is the standard by which we are supposed to live. If we are to submit more and more, no, excuse me, as we submit more and more to the Holy Spirit, we will see this principle become easier and easier. Pretty soon, uh, our first response will be going to the Lord in prayer instead of exploding on someone. So start going to the Lord in prayer first. So, in wrapping this up, I want to leave you with Ephesians 4 1 through 6. He says, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. What is your calling? To be like Jesus. And to bring others to Jesus. Then he goes on to tell us what that looks like. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make allowance for each other's faults. Not judging harshly. And know that you may be needing that patience and allowance from others at some point in your life. Because, you know, like he said... None of us are perfect. Amen. Then he goes on in verse three Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. You see, we're all the body of Christ. When one of us is injured, then the whole body is injured. Remember what happens when you stub your toe? It's like that affects the whole body. I mean, at least me, I am such a baby when I stub my toes. It's like I almost collapse on the ground. You know, it's like, oh, I can't dig this. It hurts so much. It affects the whole body. Then it, he says, bind ourselves together in peace. And I love that. We're being bound together. That's like you get a rope and you tie, you know, around the whole body of Christ. We are bound together in peace. And who doesn't want peace? That is so important. Then he goes on to say, For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. We are going to be together for eternity. I think we need to start getting along now. Amen? (laughs) And then he says, There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is no other. This is it. This is it. And then he goes on to say, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Now, this is a very important fact when dealing with difficulties and differences. You see, we all have the same Holy Spirit in us. He's not going to tell one person one thing and another, we're talking about believers here, another Because he can't contradict himself. We find this a lot in um, marriage ministry and marriage counseling where, you know, the uh, husband and wife will be at odds. And it's like, okay, you both are believers, right? Yeah. So somebody's not listening to the Lord here. And sometimes they're being called to compromise. Sometimes one is right. Sometimes another one's right so remember that we all have the spirit of god living within us so we can overcome the differences so whether you're having difficulties or if someone has said something hurtful to you please understand that we're all human we're all sinners we all fall at the time at times we all need God's mercy. We all need his grace. It's how you react during those times that determine whether or not you have yielded to the Holy Spirit and desire to follow after him. Whether or not you're willing to give up your spot in the line at McDonald's. And this is how you know how to get through those hurtful things in this life. It's keeping your eyes on Jesus. And what do we do first? Pray. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's so much to pull out of this scripture. Help us, when we go through difficult times, help our first response to be to go to you, Lord. Because you understand. There is nothing we can't tell you. And you want to hear from your children. You want to hear from your daughters. And so when we go through difficulties, when someone has said something hurtful, Lord, help us to... Just talk to you about it. Not talk to other people, but to you. And have you minister to each one of our hearts. Lord, we're sorry that we don't do this on a regular basis. And sometimes we do fall and we do blow it. But then, Lord, we're thankful for your mercy. And we're thankful for your grace. And as we discuss this further, would you minister to each one of our hearts so that we see the value in following after your principles, Lord, and seeking uh, your wisdom in all situations. So we love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.